Why don't you go to Romans 11, and that's where we're going to be, Romans 11, starting at verse 1. But how many of you, I'm just curious, are into podcasts? You you do some podcasts? Okay, throw one on your list. It's amazing how I built this uh, with Guy Raz. I don't know if, yeah, Dustin's into it. How I built this. It's an NPR uh, podcast, and it's absolutely fascinating, especially if you're curious. I wonder, Warby Parker, how can they sell glasses so cheap? Five guys, burgers and fries. How could that explode all over the world? Or uh, other companies like Tom Shoes. How can the concept of a really inexpensive shoe change the way we purchase? Because millions bought them, even if they didn't like them, because the concept of buy one and we'll give one away to those in need. And by the way, they make your feet stink. Okay, just a side, <laughs> side note. But people still buy them. How did those companies, how did those movements begin? Well, well Guy Raz, he interviews the people who started the movement. And I could, I could give you, I've listened to all of them minus two. And, and I'm still, you know, almost done with them. And they come out every week. Basically, someone gets a concept that starts small. Some of the biggest companies were built on the smallest ideas. And then what it does is in the interview, it traces how this person took the concept and pushed through challenges that should have stopped it at the beginning. And what you pick up, as I've listened to almost all of them, is the heart of the entrepreneur, the heart of the company builder is to press on. Trouble comes. Trouble comes all the time. Whether you're looking for it, it will find you. But somehow these huge companies or movements are built when someone decides to never give up. And the fact is most of us just give up too soon. Most of us. When God's stirring something in your soul, we give up praying. We give up taking the next step. We give up when, when we're hit with confrontation or it didn't turn out the way that we had thought at the beginning. And it's inspiring. The, the podcast is inspiring because it reminds us of what can happen when we don't give up. And I just, uh, as we think about Romans 11, as we think about where we are in studying the scriptures, I, I don't want to be one of those people who gives up. And I don't want you to be one of those people that gives up on what God wants to do in your world. So I just want to encourage you. God wants to move you forward. God wants you to get to the end of where he's leading you. God wants you to do things in your life and with your life that are beyond even what you might believe. God is for you. And he's pushing you forward. And we're going to see a bit of how that works in the big picture. All that is a setup to think about what is an interesting, quasi-strange passage. In Romans, this is probably one of the ones like, huh, I don't get it. But I think in the big picture, it's about the reminder to never give up. So Romans 11, I told you to go there and I'm still trying to figure it out. All right, Romans 10, Romans 11, we'll start in verse 1. We're going to read a bunch and just kind of look at the high points this morning. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. A little review here uh, because we're picking up in the middle of an argument. Romans 9 through 11 is about this group of people called Israel. 
the good news of Jesus. And when you read Romans, you realize this is a summary of what Jesus has done and how it plays out in our world. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us the Jesus narrative, his life, what he said, where he went, what he did. But what Paul does in this letter to Rome is based on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the life of Jesus, how, it, how does that impact our world? Well, he gets to this point in the letter, Romans 9, 10, and 11, where he hits about the group of people Jesus came into. Jesus was born into a Jewish family. Jesus is a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus is connected to King David. Jesus is fulfilling the story of what God was doing in a group of people called Israel. And in these chapters, he's trying to answer the question, all right, Jesus came for everyone, that's the good news. But how does that impact those that he physically came to who are now rejecting him? Most of the Jews at the time of Paul are pushing Jesus away, which is weird. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. And so Paul's wrestling with, well, then what's God doing with this group of people? In other words, 9 through 11 is about what is God's plan for Israel? The physical descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Now, I know this doesn't make a difference to you and to me because this question's been answered, but it was a massive question in, this, in, in their day. What we know so far is that Jesus saves through faith in him. So there's not two plans. Like God has a plan for the Jewish people. They have one way of encountering God. And then God has a plan for everyone else. No, there's one way that we encounter life in God, and it's through faith in the work of Jesus. And so those who reject him don't enjoy his presence. We saw last week there, there were people who were connected to God because of their Jewish ancestry. And now Paul gives this harsh but true statement. Those who are Israel are born of this family line that reject Jesus. They don't have life in God. So our role is to share good news to those who have heritage, a background, and those who don't. But ultimately, you and I aren't responsible for how people respond to Jesus. That's all the background of what we saw so far. Now, chapter 11 is about one big question. We'll look at first half this week, second half next week. What about the people of Israel? Did God reject his people? Verse 1. I ask, did God reject his people? Remember, the Hebrew scriptures were written for one group of people, Israel. So as you read the Bible, the first half is for one group. Now, if God was dealing with them for centuries and centuries, now in Jesus, did God just forget about them? And that's what he's trying to answer. Let me put it in our language, though, because this question isn't, like, relevant to us. Is God faithful to his promise? If God promised Abraham, from your descendants, I'm going to bless the world. And by the way, I'm making an agreement with you that will never end. That's what God said to Abraham. God said to David, your kingdom will never end. So did God break his promise? Because if God breaks his promises, he's not exactly trustworthy. So how do we deal with things when we don't understand what God is doing and when we don't know what's happening in the world and why it's happening, how do we answer those questions? All right, let's just read again. Verse uh, 2. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what Scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appeared to God against, uh, how he 
appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and turned down your altars. I'm the only one left, and there, they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? Quote, I have reserved for myself 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. Just two thoughts this morning. As we look at this, this one question, did God reject his people, the people that he agreed to live through and love, did God reject them? Number one, remember the power of God's grace. Let's just say that together. Remember the power of God's grace. One more time, as if you actually believed it. Remember the power of God's grace. What does Paul appeal to? We're all in the same boat. Sometimes there are circumstances in life where we look at God and say, God, okay, I get it. I'd like to believe that you're really working. It just doesn't seem like it. What are you doing? Because when I look at my world, this just doesn't make sense. Is God rejecting them? Because on the outside, that's what it looks like. When, when they're gathering at the church in Rome and they get together on the Lord's Day and they come to worship and eat a meal together and love one another and pray for one another, they look at the room and in Rome, it's mostly non-Jewish people, Gentiles. But they don't have the New Testament, so this is interesting. The non-Jewish people are reading the book that was written for the Jews. They have the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And so they're wondering in their own mind, God, what, what's going on? Because what about these people that you seem to love and lead? Are you done with them? And Paul says, hold up, read the story. God has not rejected his people, and he gives two big reasons. The first is himself. Look back at verse 2. By no means, I am an Israelite myself. Uh, I'm like from Abraham, and I'm from Benjamin. Verse 2, God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. At one time, Paul, who has the background, he rejects Jesus. Remember, Paul is on his way to Damascus trying to imprison Jesus' followers. And Jesus confronts Paul, stops him in his tracks. Three days later, he's had a total 180. And now he starts teaching and preaching in the synagogues. The guy I was trying to stop, this risen Jesus, I've met him and you ought to follow him. Don't forget the power of God's grace. Paul experienced it. The most rebellious, obstinate person against Jesus could be turned around in a moment and start to follow him and actually become a leader. You see, God can change the heart of anyone. God, let's make it personal, God could change your heart. I, uh, I've got a friend, Nigel, who lives in England. I'm going to be with him and doing a week of outreach this, uh, this October, and I remember meeting Nigel's dad years ago, and Nigel has spent most of his life organizing opportunities for people to hear the message of Jesus, but his own dad wasn't following, and it was on Easter when, when Nigel's dad was 92 years old, 
92. How much flexibility do you have at 92? Physical, zero. Like, you know. How much emotional flexibility and, like, spiritual flexibility do you have? Probably not a lot. At 92, I think you figured out how the world has worked in your own mind, whether you're right or wrong. But at 92, he opened his heart. He heard the good news. He responded to the love of Jesus Christ. He had one more year of life after that. And he read his Bible and fell in love with Jesus and looked back and thought, I wish I would have done it earlier. God can turn around any heart at any time in any way. So, so the problem with experience, you can say, well, that's Nigel's dad or that's Paul, is, is experience rooted in truth. And so Paul doesn't say, just look at me. He says, look at your Bible. 1 Kings 19, you don't have to go there for time. 1 Kings 19, if you want to read a thrilling story about how good, confident, godly people can become pansy babies, it's a fantastic story. Because Elijah has just been used of God to confront these false gods. And in a power display, God shows up in Elijah's life. And everyone who's not following the true God, Yahweh, is embarrassed. Because the power of God that comes through Elijah... But then the king and his wife come against Elijah and say, we're going to kill you. And then he runs away like a little baby. And he's scared and he's like, woe is me. And he's depressed. And in 1 Kings 19, God speaks to Elijah. He's like, God, I'm the only one. And like, this king is going to wipe me out. And his wife is like wicked and I don't know what to do. And, and God confronts Elijah and his pity party. And look at what he says. Verse 4. Quote, and he's quoting 1 Kings 19. I've reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah's like, I'm the only one. And God's like, excuse me, I do the math around here. And your math's pretty, like, lame. You say you're the only one, which sounds, like, powerful. I'm the only one. I actually have 7,000 people you don't know about. So... Two, he applies this, verse 5. So two, at the present time, there is a remnant of people chosen by grace. In other words, never underestimate the power of God's grace. You may think, and I may think, well, man, I don't know, God, what are you doing in the, in the world? And, and what's going on? And I don't understand. And in their case, it looks like all of Israel has rejected God in their day. Very few Jews are in the church, and it looks like God has forgotten them. And Paul says, look at my life. God could turn anyone around and look at the Bible. When it looks like things are dark, God has plenty of light. And when it look like, looks like things are impossible, God is doing more. In other words, God is doing more than you and I can see, which is good news. God's doing more than you and I can see. God's doing more in your world than you and I can see. God's doing more in the city than you and I can see. God's doing more in your family than you and I can see. If we go by just by what we see, we will be discouraged. But don't you ever underestimate the power of God and His grace, God's care, God's love, God's concern. You know, sometimes we think, I'm really, I really care. I wish, I wish more good were happening. If you care, how much more does God care? And if you're willing to do something about it, how much more is God willing to do something about it? Sometimes we think, all that I see is all that is. And Paul says, no, 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 no. God turned me around when everyone else was scared to be in my presence because I was throwing people in jail. God was dealing with me. Don't ever underestimate 
the power of God's grace. God's doing more, which is a good word for us here in Portland. As you look around, this is not exactly the Bible belt, right? This is not exactly the place where everyone embraces the way of Jesus and everyone loves the church and going and joining a, peop- a group of people on a Sunday morning is the most popular thing to do. Going to a community, going to church is, is more countercultural. Reading your Bible is countercultural. Actually following the way of a man you can't see is countercultural. Choosing the, the go the way of Jesus when it goes against your feelings is countercultural. This may seem harder, but don't underestimate the power of God. And just because it doesn't seem like he's working in huge ways doesn't mean that he is. Yes, progress sometimes seems slow. And the struggles we walk through and the battles we walk through and the issues we walk through, they seem to be overwhelming. But let's just flip it to you. You may feel like you're not making any progress. Don't underestimate the power of God. You may feel like, well, man, I wish I were here and I seem to be here. Don't underestimate the power of God to change. We've got to remember the power of grace. That is God's care, God's love, God's concern, God's power, God's ability. God can do what you can't, which is good news, by the way. That's like really good news. Well, I'm just getting started. So let's keep reading. I told you a lot of verses, but I didn't actually read a lot of them. Kind of got off on my own little happy time. You doing all right? Yeah, you seem a little stymied and concerned. All right, verse 7. I'm, I'm trying to work you, but you're not, you're not working with me. What then? What the, uh, what the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. In other words, did God reject them? No, God's doing something. But they're obviously not receiving. What then? But the people of Israel saw so earnestly they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened, as it's written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they could not see, and ears that they could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. No time to go into this, but what Paul always does is he says what God is doing is based on what God did. God's not starting something new. He's completing what he started at the beginning. So most of the people who are are Jewish background are rejecting Jesus. He actually goes back and says, read the Bible. God predicted this would happen. This isn't a surprise. You shouldn't be surprised. Verse 11, this is why. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? In other words, is God done with them? Is it over, just erase the Jewish connection to God? No, 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 not at all. Rather, because of their transgression or their sin, salvation has come to the non-Jews, which is Gentiles, to make Israel envious, which was a twist in the plot. God said, I'm going to deal with you, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, your kids, When you love me and walk with me, you're going to make the other nations jealous. They're going to want to know me. And because of you, all of the nations are going to follow me. But then Israel doesn't follow God. So God doesn't erase the story. He just twists the characters. And now those that are non-Jewish are going to know Jesus and hopefully make the original group 
jealous, which is not what any of them had planned. But verse 12, but in their transgression, but if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? In other words, God had come uniquely to one group to bless the whole world. They rejected. Now God's accepting these people to pull them back in. He's saying, don't forget what God's doing in the big picture. God is about to do something that's unique. Let's keep uh, reading. Again, verse 11. Did they stumble beyond so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Verse 12. If their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for Gentiles, how much greater? There's going to come a time when God's going to bring back those who seemed far away. So not so fast. God hasn't stopped what he's doing. God's doing something in non-Jews and in Jews. And he's going to tie it together. Verse 13. I'm talking to you Gentiles. So right now, I know this sounds a little bit mysterious and this isn't our question. Right now it looks like in the church, God's forgotten the Jewish people and now he's working through us. Paul simply says, you've got to read the whole story. God predicted he was going to save the world. He's going to use one group of people. They reject. He's brought you in. But he's always been about saving the whole world. Verse 13. Inasmuch as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. What Paul sees the big picture of what God's doing. He chose a group of people, they reject. He includes another group of people, but he loves them. In other words, the good news is for everybody. So what does Paul do? He shares the good news with those who have faith background and with those who don't. Why? Because he knows that the power of grace wins. And God is going to rescue people who have Jewish background or don't have Jewish background. Paul has no idea who God wants to rescue right now. So he's going to share the gospel with everyone. Verse 15. If their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And then it gives two analogies. If the part of dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. I'll get back to that in a second. Let's just continue it. If some of the branches have been broken off and you though a wild olive shoot have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Don't get lost in the metaphor. We'll come back. Do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. So we'll apply this. Batch of dough, holy. All, all the dough is holy. Part of the branch and root, holy. Oh, the rest of it becomes holy. His point is... God's doing a big thing, the whole batch of dough. God's doing a big thing, the whole olive tree, not just part. And no matter where you came from, don't consider yourself to be superior. If you do consider this, you don't support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in, granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. 
Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he won't spare you either. Okay, that was a whole mouthful and then some. What is his point? The first thing I wanted you to write down, never underestimate the power of God's grace. The second thing is remember the big picture of what God is doing. All he does here, and this is ancient, so I get it. This is confusing. All he does is reminds the church, when you think of the small bit called your life, and by the way, here's a gentle reminder, your life is a small bit. You're not the center of the universe. Welcome to church. Your life is, is important and it will do something, but the world's been around a lot longer and will continue without you. You and I are a part of what God is doing. So if we're a part, whatever's going on in my world, it's really important that I remember the big picture of what God is doing. Here's a big picture in their story. Some have hardened their heart towards God, which is like the world we live in today, right? There are people in your row who really want to pursue life with God. There are people in your row that do not care. And they're here because it's Father's Day, and that's a good thing. And I'm not pointing the finger at anyone. I'm simply saying everyone in your row is not here for the same reason, and everyone in your row does not have the same heart towards God. Some hearts are hardened. Some are rejecting God. But when you think about your row, God is not done with anyone in your row. And God is working with everyone in your row, and God loves everyone in your row, and God is patient with everyone in your row, and God has grace for everyone in your row. We're not all in the same spot, but God's faithfulness is the big picture. So then he gives this, like, analogy. If part of the dough is holy, the whole batch is holy. Holy, don't think perfect. Just think set apart for something special. So God set apart this group of people, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to do something special. What was the something special? Is introduce the world to relationship with God. And right now they're rejecting God. So what does God do? He brings into the batch of dough, so to speak, other people that normally wouldn't be in there, a.k.a. you and me. And now every one of us can know the living God. In other words, God didn't throw out a group of people. He just threw more in the batch. He didn't reject Israel. He's saying, no, for a time, they don't care. But I'm going to bring some of them back. In other words, application for you and me, no matter how hard your heart has been, if you'll open your life to God's leading, he'll include you in his batch of dough. The other analogy kind of makes more sense because it's the Pacific Northwest wine country, right? Grafting and vineyards or olives. You see, there's a root system that's strong. And if you're going to include something new, put a twist on the grapes or put a twist on the, on the olives, you can graft one part of another offshoot into this root system and watch it flourish. And in the same way, there is a group of people who love and follow Jesus, and when you choose to love and follow Jesus, guess what? You're grafted in. You're included in what God's doing in the world. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Write this statement down. God is using you as part of his plan to bless the world. 
following Jesus isn't about necessarily what you get. Although, gosh, what you get is pretty darn amazing. You get a new start. That's amazing. Who's going who's gonna to give you a reset? Who's going to give you a chance to do life in a whole new way other than God? Uh, you get God's presence. That's amazing. You get the Spirit of God comes and lives in and with you. You can know what God is thinking about anything that's important in your world. Man, God, I wonder what you would do. And tongue-in-cheek, I would say, God is saying to you, here I am. I want you to know what I would do. Who, who in the world can say that about their world? You have God's peace in the middle of real storms. doesn't mean that Jesus' followers don't do, go through rough times. Of course we go through rough times. Of course we go through pain and suffering and hell on earth. We're included in the world's problems. But we know the one who overcomes the world. And Jesus is bigger and greater, more powerful and loving than any problem that comes my way. And I walk through these trials and troubles with God. Who, who in the world has that but those who follow Jesus? But can I just say, everything I just said isn't the point. The point of you being included in God's family is to accomplish God's mission in the world. God wants to bless the world. So he includes a people that can Bless, partner with him to bless the world. Following Jesus is not about what you get. It's about what you get to be. You get to become God's agent to bless his world and bring life to dead things in his world. That is what it means to follow Jesus. Now, if that is true, look at verse 18. Don't consider yourself to be superior to the other branches. If the point of following Jesus is what I get, I can become boastful, right? Look at me and my relationship with God. Look at how much greater I know and look how much better my life is. Well, if you realize that the goal of following Jesus is what you get to do in the world, then there's no place for pride. There's no place for saying, look at us as a church or look at me as a Christian. It's all grace. It's all gift. And you realize, wow, I just get to be one small bit player in God's great drama. Now, again, I'm not underestimating you and your role. I'm just saying it's not as big as you think. God is the big actor, quote unquote, in this drama. God is the one who's working in his world. It's his. He loves it. And he's rescuing it. And he's using people like you and me. And look at the warning. Verse 21. They were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Don't be arrogant, but tremble. How's that for a Father's Day line? Don't be puffed up. No, tremble. Now, God's, Paul's not saying be afraid of God. He's just saying, look at the history books. There are people who've claimed to be right with God, and they've been full of pride, and God rejects them. You've been included in Jesus by grace, and so receive his love by grace. Never take God's grace for granted, is what he's saying. And on Father's Day, that is a fantastic reminder. Now, the longer you follow Jesus, the more you're going to be tempted to make this whole thing about you. And so we need warnings. We need reminders like this at times. The longer you follow Jesus, the easier it is to believe that what you have is because of what you've done. 
Following Jesus starts by grace, continues by grace, it ends by grace. It's all by God's grace. If he doesn't give us, we don't have. If he doesn't breathe life, we don't have it. If he doesn't give us his presence, we don't enjoy it. So today we want to remember the power of God's grace and remember the big picture of what God's doing. Just because life is hard right now does not mean it needs to stay that way. Just like listening to how I built this. Sometimes human stories are helpful to remind us starting a company is full of hard knocks and tough times. But somehow in in the middle of it all is a breakthrough. And you get to see on the other side of all of that hard blood, sweat, and tears leads to something. And I think the same thing could be said by following Jesus. There are seasons of hard times, but don't forget the power of God. Don't forget the power of grace. And don't forget that God's not done with you yet. And so why do I bring this up? It's because holidays are a fun but sometimes painful part of the year. And so as we get ready to respond and worship, I'm blessed by a great dad. I've, uh, I just got to boast in God's grace. My dad was not following Jesus when I was born. And his life did not reflect following Jesus. But when I was a young person, two, three years old, he and my mom encountered the love of God. They began the following the way of Jesus. And I have watched as my parents grew and I was growing up, they were following the way of Jesus. And their life was and is being transformed. And that's made a profound impact in my world. And so I'm grateful. My, my dad still loves my mom, and they still hold hands. It's kind of cute. And they've been married now for almost 50 years, and they're in love. And anyone who knows my parents is blessed by them because they're just kind of, they don't live for themselves. They live to serve people. They're just so weird. They're just not normal. They get up, and I'm not exaggerating, they pray for hours. For other people. My mom's got a wall of names and places and people. And they have index cards of people's prayer requests. And they pray until it's answered. And then they put a smiley face on it. And wow, they rejoice that God has answered prayer. I'm blessed. But I recognize at the same time that that's not everybody's story. And Father's Day can be a very wonderful or terrible time. When you think about the dad you didn't have. Or the dad you wanted, but who never lived up to your own expectations. So you may be struggling on a day like today with pain from your past. Or uh, a card and a holiday only amplifies the pain and hurt and suffering. And, and things are not the way that they should be. Can I just remind you, God is here and God is full of grace. And he can turn it around even for you. Now, what's my response? Don't be like Israel, which pushes God away. Be like Paul and like the church who includes God in. You see, I'm not responsible for your response. But what we've been learning in Romans is you are responsible for you. And so today, if you're hearing God's voice, turn to him. If God's grace can turn Paul from being anti-Jesus, murdering Christians, to be the lead spokesman for the Christian message and writer of the majority of the New Testament, then what can God do in your world?
Paul is a proof of God's grace. So as we respond, let's just ask the question and we'll put it on the screen. Where do you need God's care? Not do you need God's care. Okay, if you're breathing, where? Let's hone it in. As we respond by singing and coming to the table and eating the bread and the cup, if you're new to our church, we open and invite people to come, those who follow Jesus, to come and receive tangible things that represent Jesus. His body broken for my good. His life killed, taken for my resurrection. And we believe that Jesus died and rose again to make us alive in him. And if he did that, he can do that for you. Today, where do you need God's care? Can I just remind you, he's all that you need and he has all that you need. So why don't we turn to him even this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand even now. If you'd stand to your feet even now, we're going to respond to God's grace with singing. Uh, let the words that we now throw up on the screen, can I encourage you not just be songs like, you know, verses and lyrics and words I repeat, but you can actually take these songs and they can be prayers. They can be not just things that come out of your mouth, but they can be words that come from your heart. And so as we sing them, let's now invite the Holy Spirit of God to begin to take the things that are important to me and to bring His care, His love, His grace, His mercy. When, um, when we're led to the table, I'm going to invite you, just not at this song, but the next song. When you go, you grab the bread and the cup, reminders of God's grace, and we'll take it and eat it together. Lord, we love you. And so now we invite you to take these words that we sing and as we make them prayers to you, Lord, we invite you now to even answer them. Even as we're in this gathering space, we pray in your name.